You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, this week's Tushiva both deal with, I would say, leniencies arising out of an intermarriage. Um, so we'll talk about what that means. In Eben Ezer, um, uh, Chelek Bet Simen Yud, uh, Tshuva written in 5723 to Rabbi Ben-Sion Goldzweig of Montreal. Uh, Rav Moshe addresses a question of a woman who comes to, presumably to Montreal uh, from London uh, and wants to uh, to get an, a, a, a sure that she that she can marry. Uh, so she states that she was married twice in England, but both marriages were to non-Jews, and therefore she does not need to produce evidence of a get because halachically she is un, uh, she is unmarried. The question is whether whether one ha- uh, one says well she says she was married and now right so therefore we should require proof that. Um, that her marriages did not in any way make her ineligible to remarry. So Ramosha says that uh, all women begin life with the presumption, uh, what he calls a cheskat penuya, a presumption that they are unmarried, and that presumption continues until something happens to change it. Now, in this case, nothing has happened to change it, because from a halachic perspective, the woman says, I was born not married, and I'm still not married, and I was never married. The fact that something else happened, um, which is not halachically uh, kedushin, does not undermine that chazaka. And the Ramosha says, since we're dealing with a chazaka, we're just we're dealing with a presumption based on a natural condition. So it doesn't matter that she intermarried and that might damage her credibility, because the reason we believe her is not because she's credible. The reason we believe her is because they're uh, right. We're not actually believing her. We're just stating is that we look at her and say, well, there's no reason to think she's married, so she's not married. Uh, she was never married. Um, so therefore, um, right, it's certainly clear that. Uh, we have enough evidence, Rav Moshe says, right? right the, the presumption, which counts as evidence, to make the decision if that were the only, if that were all the evidence available. But the question is, and maybe you should still send a message to England to find out uh, who her husbands were. That's right. That that should be findable out, and then established uh, by means other than chazaka um, that verify the chazaka and make sure that the first two husbands were in fact. Um, not Jewish. So Rav Moshe's answer to this is, "Al kol pane masha efshar levarit tzarich He says, even though I think that if there were no evidence uh, available, if she came from a you know, from a culture where uh, which had simply vanished, and so there was no way to verify uh, who right who uh, who her her husbands were, uh, then that would be fine. But nonetheless, now right, he says you have to investigate, um, and therefore he says you did a really good thing." Uh, that he made her sign a, a declaration that her prior husbands were not Jewish under penalty of, of perjury. And therefore, he says, since you've done everything that is in your capacity to, uh, to, clarify, to, to clarify, so you can, right, you can um, perform condition for her because you've done everything you can. So the... Um, all right, so now the... the um, and then Ramosha says, on condition that she's going to keep Nida, and that's a whole right, halachic issue going on, uh, the extent to whether it's a mitzvah or not to perform condition for people, or whether it's lifting either, to perform condition for a couple that won't keep Nida, that is not our issue, um, our issue here, and whether Ramosha held that position consistently or not. Um, so the question we have is, based on the rules we set up, we set out previously, so, okay, um, is right, there's a chazaka that's sufficient to establish it, is there a miyot hamatsui that of people who set themselves, who declare themselves to be non-Jews, are actually Jewish? Uh, 
unlikely if women, of, if there are Amida Masya of women who were actually married to Jews and come and admit being married but claim that their husbands were non Jews? Probably not. So we're just dealing with Chashash. So we're dealing with Chashash. So then we say, you know, then really Erech is quite, it should be quite a bother to, uh, to investigate. So why should you have to investigate? And secondly, it's delaying her remarriage. So, um, so that should be right. So that should also override it. So why does it sit with our rules? Uh, the answer, I think, here is um, that first of all, here that, that the cases of Moshe said that you don't have to investigate when there's a tircha. Those are talking about when the consumer themselves, uh, when the consumer itself, themselves had to had to had to investigate. Uh, but here we're dealing with the question whether the beitin has to investigate, and maybe the beitin has a higher duty of uh, clarifying everything possible than a private individual. That makes a lot of sense uh, to me. Um, so then the only question is whether we would consider this igun. Uh, in that case, Rav Moshe said that even the Beitin is not allowed to uh, to further investigate. So the answer is, in this case, Rav Moshe didn't say send a message to England. Right? He could have done that. But he says is, you've done everything you can do um, by having the woman sign an affidavit under penalty of perjury. So that does not involve a delay at all. It just imposes a du- an additional obligation on the woman, which takes no time, and that's really to fulfill the Beitin's obligation. So I think that we can add in that new rule for Rav Moshe that for Bezin specifically, um, the standard of, right, the Bezin can even impose a tircha that doesn't uh, involve time, uh, maybe, it doesn't involve delay in marriage, not clear what, whether the Bezin could impose it, a duty of investigation on a party that um, that costs money, but um, but just the bother, the Bezin can impose, um, and in this case, there's no contradiction to the Egon Shiva because the woman's marriage is not at all delayed by having her sign an affidavit. Okay, so that's case number one. Uh, case number two, this is Evan Ezer Gimel Aleph, uh, written in 5727, through Mordechai Gifter, the Rosh Hashiva of Tells. Um, and the question is, you have a, uh, a marriage that um, broke up, and the wife went off and remarried civilly a non-Jew, and now the husband wants a hetemer rabbanim, or he wants a permission to uh, commit bigamy um, in violation of the Cheren de Gershom. And Rav Moshe says that um, he thinks you don't even need Meir Rabbanim for that case. Again, this is a wholly separate topic when Rav Moshe thinks you need Meir Rabbanim uh, when he thinks you don't. Uh, but he says something really very important. Uh, I think it's a, it's both a morally and pragmatically uh, critical point. Rav Moshe says, even when you don't require Hetem Meir Rabbanim to allow the husband to remarry, you have to write a get, and you have to give the get um, as a presumptive good to the woman. Um, because that way, if she eventually marries a Jew, then we don't have to worry about her children being mamzerim. So even if you don't want to do it for her, but it's good for the Jewish people, that children not be mamzerim. Uh, and in general, Moshe sets out a an, on, an ongoing principle, uh, I think, all the way through his trivot, that whenever you allow, you can't allow a husband to remarry without ensuring that the wife has a concomitant uh, capacity to remarry. Um, so you do everything possible. You try to give, get the get. If you uh, if you fail to give the get, then you do a get zikui. And when you're worried that a get zikui doesn't work, whether because of the famous position of the rift that it doesn't work until she acquires it, uh, or because you're worried that it isn't actually a swiss in that case, so you also have to hold the get in escrow. Uh, until the um, until the woman agrees to uh, to pick it up, uh, this is not really on our point of actual delivery, but I think it's a really important point of our motion. Like I mentioned now, that our motion really makes it absolute principle. As far as I can tell, you cannot 
that whenever you're going to free a, a to free a husband to remarry, you have to simultaneously ensure that the wife will not be left in aguna and unable to and unable to remarry. Um, and that is an ongoing problem of uh, rogue batidin who don't follow Rav Moshe on this and free uh, free husbands to remarry without uh, freeing the wives and thereby leave them uh, horribly vulnerable. Um, okay, then um, Rav Moshe says, okay, the second issue is, well, how do we know that she remarried non-Jew? So he says, So he says, okay, so the reason that you can allow the husband to remarry is that if the wife has remarried, and we presume that she slept with someone else voluntarily, therefore, so she's now forbidden to the husband, and Ramosha thinks that the Megershom decree doesn't apply um, to cases where the wife is now forbidden to the husband. Although, again, he makes the moral point that it doesn't mean you can just allow the husband to remarry. You have to ensure that he allows the wife to remarry at the same time. So the question is, how do you know? The Ramosha says that if the husband can produce a, uh, a, marriage, right, a marriage registry, showing that the wife is remarried, that's sufficient because we have a presumption that if they were formally married, that they uh, right, had intimate relations with the person in a way that would create a prohibition uh, on, the, on the original husband, right? She committed adultery. Um, he says, ah, but what if they broke up already? And so now you have to worry maybe the marriage uh, was never consummated. Um, he says, you can still rely on the court said that they were married, and that and the fact that they were that they were married creates a presumption, even if they are not currently married. Um, okay, as opposed to evidence of you know, which, which is where uh, but are often stuck in much worse situations where there is no marriage contract, there's just cohabitation. So we're not going to get into that issue now at all. Um, so he says, right? Um, but he says, but you know. Whether they're still married or not, so he's telling you, look, I think if they were once married, even if they're now separated, that would be enough. But you could find out if they're still married. So he says, so if whether she's still, I think I'm reading this correctly. The grammar is a little complicated. Uh, if she's still the um, the wife of the the wife of the non-Jew, this is something that you can verify by investigation without any tircha, without any without any bother. So he says, look, I don't think this is necessary at all. I think we have enough uh, enough evidence, uh, and you don't really need to investigate it further. So why don't you need to investigate it further? Uh, maybe it's not even a chashash, he thinks, because it's an absolute truth. I uh, think the, the fact that he thinks it really makes no um, probative difference, whether she's still married or not, because the point, the reason for the head for the husband is not that she is married, but that she was married. Nonetheless, he says, right, even though I don't see any need for this, since it's possible to um, it's possible to verify why why not investigate? Uh, okay, so we have to say why not investigate? The reason not to investigate is that it delays the husband's heter. So the answer I think is that since a get has to be done anyway, uh, he doesn't think this kind of investigation will delay the husband's remarriage uh, at all. Or maybe he thinks that since this is a case where the husband is married, uh, it's just a question of allowing a second wife, so he doesn't think that this counts as Iguna de Gavra, uh, that this counts as uh, imprisoning the uh, as imprisoning the husband so that he doesn't mind a minor delay in the husband's capacity uh, to remarry. Okay, thank you, and we'll see you for episode six. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 